five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. In this week's podcast, my special guest is Jason Michaud, founder and CEO of Stardust Technologies, an aerospace and technology startup based in Cochrane, Ontario, but with offices in Ottawa. Stardust specializes in AI, XR, robotics, and STEM education. Listen in to my fascinating interview with Jason. Welcome, Jason, to the Space Economy Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really uh, honored to be here, Mark. Uh, this is a wonderful podcast that you've been doing, and I'm really uh, thrilled to be part of it. Now, a lot of people won't be familiar with uh, Stardust, so why don't we start with uh, why? when did you create the company? Why did you create the company? And what, yeah, let's just start with that. Uh, so the, the so great question. Uh, so Stardust was founded as uh, Tech Galaxy initially in uh, 2014, with them, and uh, the uh, the company has evolved over the years to become Stardust as we focus a lot more on aerospace. And uh, we've uh, been cre- we created the the company with the mission to empower humanity uh, through innovations in technology and science, with the goal of making space accessible for humanity. I know that could sound like a broad term, but we're we're really focused on making space access for everyone across the world, uh, from um, the utilization of technologies to make uh, human exploration in space and helping them cope with the mental health aspects of it, uh, all the way to the tools that you'll be leveraging and also uh, education. Okay, uh, so the company got started in, in 2014. It sounds like there was a pivot in there a little bit more towards the aerospace side. Um, So uh, is it safe to say that you're a software technology company that develops uh, uh, both the the software, um, the software and and I suppose experiences using virtual reality and uh, augmented reality? So we do uh, you, we do develop the uh, software uh, from the ground up, uh, utilizing virtual reality, optic feedback, and uh, um, augmented reality, and as well as uh, uh, artificial intelligence uh, components for our solutions, so that we can help uh, with uh, different factors of space. All right. So you've got the software that you're developing. What's the platform? Is it uh, the strictly the Oculus or are there other things as well? So historically, we've worked with the uh, HTC Vive and the Oculus platform. Um, We've been uh, solely mainly focusing on the Oculus platform as uh, recent uh, since uh, it's the platform of choice uh, with uh, uh, Oculus being utilized by the ISS currently. Okay, so go into, I don't want you to get into the technology, but maybe go into a little bit of the background of it because I know there's some people that are going to uh, be shocked at this, but I've actually never used the Oculus system. So g- give me a little bit of background on what, what the, exp- let's, uh, let's use a scenario because this is something that you've been doing for astronaut health, right? So talk about your astronaut health, how you use the Oculus system, and give us an example of, let's say you're on the space station and you're, let's say your family's at home. Let's go from so there. so let's start by what we're doing with the Eden project and what we aim at doing. 
so firstly, we're utilizing virtual reality and optics so that we can create the uh, environment so that the astronaut and then their loved one on Earth are wearing the same wearables. Uh, and we're aiming at doing the first space hug utilizing these technologies. So I, I know it's uh, from an outside perspective that's never used that technology. You might be like, what's that? How does that work, right? So firstly, um, you'd be putting on a, a virtual headset uh, that basically gives you a 360 degree view of uh, your surrounding and allows you to walk around. Uh, it doesn't work the same way, unfortunately, in space uh, because in microgravity, everything's a bit different uh, <laughs> as uh, we can attest to. Uh, but that being said, uh, basically, if you take a video on your phone and you're scrolling around to look around the environment of these 360 uh, panoramic videos, well, you're essentially, we're creating an environment that you can walk around and you can interact with virtually. So we're literally putting you, almost like we're putting you in a video game. And from the, um, so if anyone has watched the movie Ready Player One, uh, then you can see that there is the uh, aptic sensations as well that allows you to feel the human touch uh, to some degree through software translated through aptics. Uh, so essentially what this allows you is basically if a virtual character or a real person touches you uh, in the VR world, you will be feeling what you're uh, being, when you're being touched on the arm or whatnot. So through that end, we aim to create this component, which is uh, through the Eden project to do the first space hug remotely to have your loved one on earth and you in space and you, you'd be in this environment which looks like your house either with augmented reality or virtual reality and you'd be wearing the the wearables uh aptics and then you'd be giving that hug and obviously factoring delay you'd be feeling like you're actually giving a hug to someone uh so that we can help you deal with mental health and cope with it in space but also develop scenarios uh where you could be uh for an example, a, a Canadian favorite playing hockey in space. Uh, maybe not with the full environment and whatnot, but you'd be able to enjoy hockey with your little boy and just doing slap shots in the net from space and be able to uh, emotionally connect with your family like this or just assist uh, family suppers. Because if we're going to be going to space for more than uh, one year at a time, it's going to be very hard. And So, uh, <laughs> yep. so yeah, so I'm kind of curious. Uh, thinking of another scenario here, so they've got a vest on, they've got the yep. the, the the helmet on, right? Um, and let's say they're sitting at a table. Is it possible that they could actually be one person sitting at their table at home, the other person is the astronaut in space, sort of just sitting in or floating in space, but maybe tied yep. down, if you will, to to make it easier? Yep. Uh, and and is it possible that they could actually be uh, sitting down to a meal where? You know, one person <laughs> the at food home won't and, taste the same, but yeah. <laughs> no, it won't taste the same, but yeah. you could actually interact like you're eating a meal. The question yeah. is, if you're wearing the glasses, can you actually eat a meal? Like, can you actually know where to put the? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, for that, I would go with augmented reality, so that way you could basically just stream the uh, environment that's on Earth while you're ah. in space at the same time. So you, what you'd be seeing is their supper around the right. table and through uh, projection and whatnot, they could see you at the table as well. Uh, but whatever you'd be eating, obviously, would be what you have in space. You can make it look fancy if you want. You can make it look well, like I'm crazy, just thinking, but... you know, you've been away from your loved one for a year, right? And you want to have a, 
a private intimate meal with a glass of wine, whatever, you know? <laughs> Why not, right? Uh, so obviously uh, there's the, uh, the, the delayed factors. So you might have a little bit of delayed in your conversation, but not as much as... Uh, so not as much well, as Mars, but <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of that depends on, on, on the communications that you have in, in yep. wherever you are. Uh, if we have low earth orbit with all these constellations there, yep. uh, especially, you know, with the IOT moving data around, uh, you should be able to, to get the latency down pretty good. So oh, okay. insanely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so from, I can understand from a psychological perspective, how this could help somebody in space and the people on the ground, right? And you could interact with your family. You know, let's say you miss uh, Thanksgiving or a birthday or something like that. You could do something like this and it could be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, psychologically beneficial. So I understand why it's beneficial. So let's talk a little bit about how we actually get there. So uh, for you, for your company, the first steps from what I understand is, is that you partnered with um, I suppose the, the Canadian Space Agency helped you. Uh, you worked with the uh, National Research Council, and you actually took the technology on some initial parabolic flights in a jet to to test things out. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing there and how what that experience was like, and what then comes next. Definitely. Uh, so the um, my 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 CTO previously Jawad uh, as uh, flew in Bordeaux in. Uh, parabolic flights in Nova space to test out the wire technology and then the VR technology. Uh, the, I mean, the wireless technology with uh, the, the cameras uh, boarded onto it. And the issue was the tracking was not working at all up there. And uh, because everything's moving and you're, you're basically not in the same world as you'd be uh, here, right? So essentially we, through our collaboration with the CSA and the NRC, we, aimed at making our technology work for astronaut in the most efficient way um, because it's quite hard to get a ticket to the ISS just to send the technology if it's not proven right on Earth. So yeah. this is kind of like the best uh, scenario that we could come up to develop the technology. So uh, we've been doing multiple parabolic flights so that we can test our um, experiences uh, in lunar, Martian, and zero-G. Um, so that we can uh, make sure that they would work and they would not make the astronaut feel nauseated. It's a little tricky since uh, it's uh, about 20 second parabolas at a time. Uh, but that being said, it still allows us to make sure that the experiment as, as a whole is working because there's nothing really like it on Earth uh, that you'd ever experiment. And from my perspective, um, it's like the first time I went on a parabola and it was early this year, um, it was really like uh, a roller coaster, but the roller coaster keeps falling. You're just basically in free, well, you're in free float, really. <laughs> uh, so it was a, a tremendous experience and it allowed us to uh, uh, do lots of engineering. Um, and because we um, have lots of uh, technologies and different scenarios to test, we have to constantly test it in these conditions uh, so that we can make sure that they're going to be working up there. So um, your first parabolic flights were early this year, correct? And of course, things had been delayed because of the pandemic. I understand that, right? What's coming next after these uh, parabolic flights, uh, we're, we're planning on testing our uh, remote uh, space hug from um, Bordeaux in uh, late March, if all goes well with our partners. Um, 
uh, York University and uh, other partners in uh, Europe that have partnered with uh, this. Uh, we are hoping to do an announcement in uh, the new year regarding this uh, with more details, of course. Um, and uh, that being said, we're going to have someone in Canada wearing the same technology that we described earlier and someone in the flight in Europe that will be wearing the same technology and will be performing a remote hug in remote activities in, uh, in real time because the uh, plane in Bordeaux is equipped with the internet uh, connectivity, whereas unfortunately in Ottawa, we don't have access to those capabilities yet. So we'll be able to test out that sort of technology before sending our technology to the ISS. Now, how did this new collaboration come about? Was this you going directly to the Europeans or uh, was uh, the CSA help facilitate that? So this was actually, uh, well, uh, I can say that to some level, the CSA helped facilitate since they introduced us uh, to the NRC, which has introduced us to um, York University as well, uh, to uh, the, the faculty that's working on these uh, projects for a number of years now through like the Vetchin project. And uh, through that, we uh, decided to see if we could collaborate to create opportunities for uh, their students and as well as uh, further the technology uh, in Canada um, and by collaborating and facilitating this. Um, and uh, the uh, response has been very great and tremendous. And we're really looking forward to uh, do like testing this because this would be groundbreaking for Canada and uh, the space industry. Okay. Now, before I move on to the next topic and discuss some of the really cool things that you could then do beyond this, I, I just want to talk a little bit about the company first. If I understand correctly, there's a little less that you've got less than 10 people working at the company. Yes. I know that you yourself are based in Northern Ontario. Uh, and if I correct our zoom session here which we're recording the audio for for the podcast and but we do have the video which is excellent is going through starlink is that correct exactly <laughs> okay so you're in a remote location you're using starlink to, to 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 communicate with me which is really cool um you're working uh in northern ontario in remote and i'm going to let people know that where you are is kind of remote <laughs> Um, what about the rest of your team? Are, are they dispersed across Canada or how's, how's mainly, that... in uh, mainly in Ottawa? So the, the rest of our team is mainly in Ottawa so that they're closer to the parabolic flights. So they have an edge. If I can't make it, they, they get to take my seat. So, right. <laughs> uh, so we, we wanted to make sure that we were close to that for whenever we're developing the Eden project. And then, uh, the others are working. Uh, I, I have, uh, colleagues in, uh, the Montreal area as well. So just right. to be a little closer to the uh, the ground zero of space in Canada. So welcome to the new startup era of the uh, po or well not well not post pandemic but the pandemic area where it really doesn't matter where you are, uh, exactly. as long as you've got the technology to, to to connect you, you guys can can get the work done. All right. So what you've done so far, which is and you're still working on getting this so that it can be done uh, on the space station. Uh, with the astronauts, I think that's really cool. Um, um, and I suppose before I get into some of the more, what I think business capable uh, projects that you might have down the road, uh, I'm curious, um, with the uh, space station, and I know that you, you, you recently just went to Dubai for the International Astronautical Congress, um, 
did anything come out of that that you can talk about uh, STEM or anything else uh, that might be coming up in, in, in next year uh, that might be of interest? Uh, so definitely uh, next year is going to be a big year for STEM. We're hoping anyways, because uh, we form lots of uh, international collaborations and uh, we're, um, we're, we're hoping if all goes well to announce a lot of those um, initiatives during the SEDS Ascension event in January, uh, late January. And um, there, there is going to be quite a bit. There, it involves rocketry and it involves Canada. Uh, and it also involves, uh, sorry for being a bit vague, but there's some stuff I can't talk about too, too much. But I can get into the gist that we're going to uh, Brazil in February. And we're going to be doing some STEM activities and outreach with the local youth and also uh, a reconnaissance mission, which we'll be uh, announcing in the next few weeks uh, that will be uh, focused on uh, mental health of astronauts um, and their isolation utilizing the Eden project. Um, and then uh, we're also hoping to be um, doing a road show, if all goes well, in northern Ontario and parts of uh, Canada in the summer to uh, promote space use uh, for uh, everyone. Uh, because unfortunately, some parts of Canada does not get that much exposure to the space industry. Uh, there's still people out there that think that the earth is flat or that uh, we never landed on the moon, unfortunately. Uh, so it's about education and outreaching. And uh, we made it a, a social movement goal to um, initiate this and really get these people there. Because the more people we get in space, the better it is for the industry and everyone at the end of the day. And from someone that comes from a small village of less than 900 people, uh, I wish I would have had those opportunities to be initiated in the space industry, because if you would have told me back then, if I would have been involved, I would have said, you're nuts. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Um, All right. So the Edium project, which is your psychological experiment for astronauts to help them against the confinement in space through medical activities and entertainment uh, using the AI and virtual reality stuff, that's part of what you've been doing. But we also discussed in our pre-interview a while back, and you actually signed a memorandum of understanding earlier this year with a Japanese company called iSpace, which is, uh, um, has done a lot of collaborations already with Canadian companies and organizations, uh, and also with Australia's University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, and you're going to be working with them on, on what? Give us uh, the scoop on that. So the, the project is called One for All, and essentially One for All, it, it takes a bit of a meaning from uh, my uh, um, our, uh, our French heritage in Canada to some degree because of the musketeers. But that being said, the, the goal is one arm for everyone in humanity. And the, the main goal for the One for All is an aptic robotics arm that will be a part of the uh, ice space uh, rover and lander that will be going to the moon, South Pole in 2024. With the goal, again, the aptics technology that we're talking about, like to be able to do that space hug. But now we're going to be utilizing this technology to record the surface of the moon, sensation of touching and interacting with it with the robotic arm, and then sending all that data back to another robotic arm on Earth so that uh, we can create this STEM opportunity for the youth around the world to be able to touch the moon without actually being at the moon. So really to inspire them to actually go someday and touch the moon. 
Uh, and through this technology, obviously factoring delay, we could control the robotic arm uh, that is on the rover uh, through virtual reality or, apt, uh, or augmented reality and optics glove and actually interact with the surface of the moon, factoring delays, of course, and then operate different types of tools or uh, feel the uh, sensation of uh, the, the um, surroundings um, of the uh, lunar south pole. So before um, in, well, engaging with any activities, which ultimately, so like I said, the main focus is STEM education to inspire the youth to actually go to the moon, but ultimately it can also be leveraged as a tool of the future for future spacesuits or future uh, repair missions or operating outside of uh, a space station. And instead of sending a human all the time, you could send a, a little rover or something that's operating in space and repairing from the inside. Or if you don't want to go uh, in a moon cave, but you want to see what the sensation of touching inside the moon cave or anything, uh, you could leverage that technology um, and use it in real time from your space station, uh, anywhere where you're at in space. So to me, this is really cool. I mean, I understand <laughs> the, the, the EDM project and, and, and the benefits of that. Uh, but from a business perspective, uh, you know, space commerce, uh, the economy, you know, the space economy, which is what this podcast is all about. Yep. Uh, the uh, capability to have that haptic interface where you can uh, have the uh, rover on the moon or whatever instrument it may be, um, uh, and to be able to uh, interact with that and 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 both visually see what's happening and physically see what's what uh, the sensation. I think that's quite interesting from a, from a business perspective. So, um, uh, like for instance, uh, there you know we do have the latency between uh, a greater latency uh, between the moon and the earth. Uh, so there's that to factor in, but let's say, you know, you've got a space station or either, you know, the lunar gateway around yep. the moon, the latency would be, you know, next to nothing. Um, that would be quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, so do you see, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I know you're involved a lot in the, um, you know, the education um, and the uh, psychological, the health benefits of using this type of technology, but are you seeing more uh, opportunity and interest in, in using this uh, technology uh, for uh, the moon and for low earth orbit, uh, uh, you know, from a business case perspective? Oh, I, the, the way I would describe it is um, where we're gearing ourselves to providing the tools that will be utilized for the future space uh, exploration and mining of space. And we believe that the one for all could be leveraged as the uh, important tool for that. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, the, the robotic arm will be able to uh, be utilized as a mining uh, tool that could provide, like operate different types of uh, uh, hardware, but it can also be used, like I said, uh, from a commercial perspective, um, sending um, a rover to interact from the lunar gateway and uh, getting uh, hydrogen or any types of uh, uh, materials you would require and bringing them back without actually putting a human in danger from uh, any lunar dust or whatnot, right? So, all right, so let's take this uh, and flip it. Um, one of my last thoughts here. Um, you're in Cochrane, Ontario. Uh, you know, 
I suppose central to northern Ontario <laughs> is known for its mining, right? Yep. Uh, part of its mining, uh, you know, mining activities are up there. Um, obviously, there are terrestrial benefits to this. Um, and, you know, I haven't gone into, uh, done much research on the robotics and, and mining, although I know it exists, obviously. Um, but um, have you been working or talking to any of the organizations within your sphere of influence there, you know, central northern <laughs> Ontario, uh, about testing out this technology and, and what is being done in this area? And I'm talking specifically about haptic interfaces and, 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 and that. So we've discussed with uh, the uh, the mayor of uh, Timmins, uh, Mayor Peary, and uh, the surrounding mining partners to basically develop a uh, R&D center that we could test out these robotic technologies underground in real world conditions on Earth and see if there is a potential analog that we can leverage uh, where it is almost impossible for humans to go and operate equipment and to make it safer for them. So this is something that we've been uh, heavily looking at and uh, we're hoping if all goes well to uh, start some of that uh, testing in uh, 2022 uh, with the equipment and making it uh, beneficial for our partners on uh, Earth as well. Now, is this part of the XRE mining project that I sort of read about? <laughs> it, it's separate? part in a way, but the XRE mining is more focused on the training uh, of uh, the, the miners on Earth and uh, for um, other applications that could be leveraged for operating this equipment as well. Hi, well, this is all uh, fascinating. I can see that there's uh, lots of uh, interesting things that you can do with the technology that you're developing. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you or something that you want to say that I've uh, that our audience would be interested in? I would uh, love to close with don't ever give up and keep going. Whoever is listening in the space industry, uh, especially the, uh, the startups and the ones that are trying to break the mold, it is extremely important. Uh, to, to, to pave your way and uh, to uh, be the term and never letting go. <laughs> so so uh, your, your website is uh, stardust-technologies.com, but is the best way to find out what's going on through the website or uh, do you provide quick updates on LinkedIn? So we're very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I try to uh, respond as much as I can to everybody. We have more than, uh, well, myself, I have more than 6,000 followers almost. Uh, so I, I try to get back to everyone, but you know, when you message uh, a thousand people uh, in a day and then they get back to you, you got another thousand to reply at. And uh, that's the best way normally to get a hold of myself or the team um, just to see what we're up to. And we have, we're active on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, also Instagram in our LinkedIn page of Stardust. And I should say that at this point, from what I understand, you're all self-funded, correct? Yes. <laughs> and are, are you looking at uh, any grant programs or uh, doing any um, uh, fundraising? So there is uh, many um, uh, funding application uh, opportunities that we've uh, looked at. Uh, we've been, uh, like I said, mainly self-funded for uh, uh, specific reasons, uh, but we're always open uh, to uh, opportunities or different uh, people in the sector that are interested in uh, 
collaborating or whatnot. What our model is more about collaborating and uh, going after um, opportunities that uh, the government will put out, like the CSA and whatnot. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. As a reminder, Space Q has two other podcasts in our network. Terranauts, hosted by industry veteran Ian Christie, which is now in Season 3. And they just launched Earth and Space podcast, focused on how we use space to benefit us in our everyday lives. Your feedback is very much appreciated. You can send us a comment or a guest recommendation to podcast at spaceq.ca. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at The Economy Space. And you can also support the podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. Until next time.